It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Friday episode of Locked On Raptors, Precious Achua is out indefinitely with partially torn ligaments in his ankle. We'll dig into what that means for the Raptors and how they will get around losing their third-year defensive ace. We will also dig into the dude of the week before we get to a Pacers-Raptors crossover episode with our dear friend Tony East from Locked On Pacers. It's all coming up on today's episode of Locked On Raptors. Thanks so much for hanging. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on? Welcome to episode number 1280 of Lockdown Raptors for Friday, November the 11th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley. I've been covering the Toronto Raptors now for nine seasons on various platforms, including my brand new Substack Post Touches, which you can subscribe to. There'll be a new post out this weekend that you can go and peruse. Just go to my pinned tweet, at WoodleySean, and go and subscribe through the link there. You can also find the show on Twitter, at Lockdown Raptors. You can find the podcast and subscribe, follow, rate, and review for free on your favorite podcast apps. It's much appreciated when you go ahead and do that. And we are also on YouTube. Go hit the big red subscribe button to look at my mug every single day. I don't know if that's a selling point or not but either way please go and subscribe it's much appreciated it helps the show out and makes us more visible and all that good stuff so thank you in advance and with that, let's get to today's show, which is brought to you by our friends over at BetOnline.net. BetOnline is covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right. On today's show, we've got a two-part, two-segment-long conversation with our pal Tony East from Lockdown Pacers coming up in the back part of the show. But to start off, there is some unfortunate injury news to get to. The Toronto Raptors announced yesterday that Precious Achua is out for an indefinite period of time due to a injury with his ankle. Of course, we saw him go down on Wednesday night. I was in the building. It looked pretty rough. Again, he was carried off the floor back to the locker room by Jamal McGlure, who's the largest man the Raptors employ. That's uh, not great, and it did not look great in the moment, and that's been confirmed. Uh, as Of course, this came from Raptors PR yesterday. They announced that Precious has been diagnosed with partial tears in ligaments in his right ankle. Achua will wear a walking boot for the next 10 days and will be listed as out indefinitely. His condition will be updated as appropriate and that is not great obviously uh you know it's been a bit of an uneven start for precious achua to be sure and they're probably a little bit more equipped to handle the absence of precious you know now than they were say had he gotten injured in the back part of last season when he was such an integral part to their late season run uh but it's still not ideal of course the big thing here for me is if this is a long-term thing the developmental sort of opportunity cost here is significant if it's going to be a multi-month thing which hey we, we don't really know just yet i'll get into some sort of uh, information from Harvard Medical in just a sec here as I did some perusing and reading on ankle injuries before, but 
you know, if it is a prolonged thing, even if it's just, you know, a month or two, that is not ideal, right? Like, we, this is a time where Precious Achu is kind of going through it, and eventually you would figure he's going to get opportunities to get himself out of whatever he's going through, and that's just now been kicked down the road by who knows how long at this point. As I mentioned, I uh, checked out some different reading on various ankle injuries, and it should be said, the, the, the language the Raptors pass along is partial tears and ligaments in his ankle. That's a sprain, uh, you know, in all for all intents and purposes, it's a sprain of the ankle. And so it makes it almost sound more sinister, not to say that ankle sprains can't be serious, but just to say partially torn ligaments sounds pretty rough. But when you say ankle sprain, oh, that's an approachable injury. I've heard that before. I maybe had that before. Still not great, uh, especially when you have partial tears. Um, so basically, I guess where this could kind of come in is, is one of two sort of umbrellas for this injury. There's the partial tear, which right now is... It's considered a grade two per Harvard Medical, uh, and that is three to six weeks recovery time. You get some loss of range of motion and function, pain with weight-bearing walking, which would explain the walking boot. Sounds like that's probably the type of injury that Precious Achua has here. So three to six weeks, if that's the timeline Harvard's outlining, who's to say? We, we don't know if that's exactly accurate. Everyone's different. Everyone recovers at different speeds. But that is sort of the, the number I'm sort of looking at with the indefinite tag. You're trying to figure out some sort of hope as to whether he can come back. And if he can come back in three to six weeks, incredible. That would be fantastic. There's the worse outcome here where it's more serious or substantial. If it's a full tear, it's up to several months of recovery time might recall, require surgery and stuff like that, or would require surgery to repair the ligament. Uh, doesn't sound from the language that the Raptors gave out that that's the case. So fingers crossed that that's in fact true and things are all good. Uh, but I would expect at least three to six weeks for Precious Achua and who knows how long more. I'm not a doctor, <laughs> but I'm just reading what some doctors wrote. Um, as far as how the Raptors overcome it, you know, I, I don't think this changes a ton right now in terms of you know, the Raptors' ability to win games. It certainly hurts to have a little bit less sort of punch with the ball uh, on the deck, which Precious provides, especially with Pascal Siakam out. He's very good in transition as well, uh, as sort of a guy who can benefit from the guys who orchestrate the fast-break attacks. He's not necessarily running them effectively himself. Um, you know, but obviously I think the biggest thing here is the defense, right? You lose Pascal Siakam, it's a big cog in your defense gone, and then Precious Achua, we've seen, has been one of their aces to throw against big wings, guards, whatever it might be. Trey Young was a guy who came to mind, you know, picked up Trey young full court and did a damn good job of it and to not have that defensive ability is tricky like there's not really anyone on the team who can replicate what precious does defensively outside of og ananobi because he's amazing and is like the best defender alive right now um but precious as far as switching on to smaller guys who can also you know play back at the rim it, he's sort of already more refined at that stuff than i i would say like scotty barnes who i think eventually the raptors are hoping he can be that type of defender who can kind of guard anybody and also offer some protection at the rim i've liked what i've seen rim protection wise from scotty so far this year in small bur bursts but precious Precious is a little bit more proven there, and so that that hurts for sure. I would imagine we'll see a lot more Christian Coloco than even we've seen so far, just be, to provide that you know protection at the rim. Um, you know, Chris Boucher is going to have to kind of rediscover his form here. Been a rough couple games for him. I'm not too worried, but um, you know, honestly. I think a thing here that could happen with Precious being out is maybe things get a little bit more sort of spacious on the floor. His three-point shot's been super errant down in the 20s so far this season. Uh, and so, you know, teams aren't necessarily respecting that shot right now. And maybe it's just like, you know, part of the joy of the Raptors is that they get really sort of clumped up and bunched together and like, you know, elbowy. And, and it's sort of like a thing that they overcome and it's kind of charming. But maybe they can just play a little bit more spread out offense. Maybe they skew a little smaller with their bench lineups. And the fact that Otto Porter and Thad Young are playing well, as we saw in the last game, and figured to be part of the rotation going forward 
forward here gives them a little bit more insurance but you know you run out of guys here you can't keep on losing dudes to injury for extended periods because uh at some point it's going to come and bite you uh hopefully ken birch can come back soon as well he'd probably be a big piece to fill in for precious as well um you know considering he does those center type things that you're going to need but uh not great not not ideal for sure but let's uh move on quickly here before we round out the, sh- the, the first segment get to the talk with tony east from lockdown pacers i do want to hand out the dude of the week which is our weekly rite of passage here and it has to be i think og ananobi who has scored over 20 in three of his last four games who's on like a six or seven game run of three plus steals at this point i believe at last check uh he's leading the league in steals he is really really coming into his own there's a breakout of some sort happening here with og i feel pretty comfortable saying that and it's a different kind of breakout it's not a guy going from 16 a game up to 25 and you know all of a sudden he's this offensive engine it's a little, little bit different in the way it looks He's taken a step defensively, multiple steps defensively even. Um, You know, the way he's just stealing balls and, you know, kind of just leaving offensive players to have doubts about whether they want to continue their future in the sport. That's been incredible. But he's also driving positive play in a way that he, you know, he's always driven positive play, but it's been substantial this season, the way it's been driven. Um, Right now, uh, the Raptors are currently operating at 116.6 offensive rating with OG on the floor. Of all regulars, that's second best behind just Scotty Barnes, who's at 118.1, which is an interesting number. Scotty Barnes, pretty good. Uh, And then the off-court defensive rating, (laughs) or offensive rating, drops down to 103.7, which is a 13-point swing, just in line with what Scotty Barnes is swinging as well. Um, So with OG out, not on the floor they're having a really hard time scoring defensively i mean same idea he's just a monster of all regulars minus christian coloco who's just like a cheat code defensively right now the raptors 105.9 defensive rating with og on the floor same as thad young best among non-coloco regulars offensive uh or off the court the the defensive rating goes all the way down to a 110.8 by far outside of coloco again the biggest swing and minus 4.9 differential there um but the numbers here suggest that Coloco is incredible defensively, but that's a different thing for another day. Uh, OG is your dude of the week this week. Uh, overall, when he's on the court, the Raptors have a 10.7 net rating, the best mark uh, of all players who have played over 400 minutes for the, or over 300 minutes for the Raptors, I guess, if we're going to, you know, we're going to try to remove Coloco here because his numbers are kind of swinging this all out of whack. Um, Ken Burch has a pretty good on-court on net rating as well in 34 minutes, so that doesn't really count. Uh, OG's been great. And then off-court, minus seven. The swing, the differential is 17.7 points which is the biggest swing on the team in terms of on and off court differential he's really good he's essential to what the Raptors want to do and so he is your dude of the week the dudely play of the week is the steal he had on Alper and Shangun in the third quarter as him and Fred Van Vliet were taking that game over on Wednesday where he digs in full-on Kawhi style to just like rip the ball away and that leads to a Fred Van Vliet three at the other end in transition that's your dudely play of the week OG is your dude of the week and I look forward to seeing more of his exploits against the Thunder and the Pacers this weekend with that we will get to the conversation with tony east of locked on pacers momentarily before we do that however i do want to tell you about our dear friends over at betonline.net who are the place to go they are the place to get all of your sports betting info stats news and analysis the number one source they even even claim to be which is correct you should go get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from football to basketball soccer esports they've got it all at betonline.net the world cup is coming up i 
freaking love the World Cup. Canada's in it this year. Maybe you want to go do the happiness hedge with our friends uh, in, in, in Group F with Canada. And you want to, you know, maybe bet on Belgium and Croatia to make it through the group so that if Canada doesn't make it through, you don't feel so bad. Uh, or you can just bet on Canada and then feel double happy if they go and win. Either way, you can get the information for how to bet, where to place your bets, who you're going to win money with, who you're not going to win money with. It's all over there at Bet Online for you. They're the easiest way to get your betting fixed. Head to the website today. Use your mobile device. Learn more about the trends in the action. Bet Online is where the game starts. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And with that, let's get to the conversation now with Tony East of Locked On Pacers. Enjoy. Now here on Locked On Pacers or Locked On Raptors, Sean Woodley and Tony East crossover time between two of the longest standing members of the Locked On Podcast Network. We have done We're the old times, heads, baby. The old heads. We've talked about Pacers Raptors games together at least a dozen now, right? It's got to be at least a dozen. The, by the number of times that people always jump into the YouTube comments when you come on the show to talk about the uh, gentleman's club that used to exist in East Toronto called Tony's East. Uh, I know I've seen that comment at least a dozen times, so that means we've been on like a, a lot, even in the last year or so since we started this whole YouTube shebang. Well, I didn't tell you until we started recording, but I'm actually opening a pub near Gamebridge Fieldhouse called Woodley Sean. So this is perfect. Wow. For our wow. Section. Um, Unreal. Pacers, Raptors, <laughs> tomorrow night. Fun, fun games, usually, except for last year when the Raptors just said, screw the Pacers, we're going to win by 30 every single time we play against each other. This game, doubly fun this year because it's the team from Canada versus the team with all the Canadians, which will be awesome to see actually in action. Um, and the Raptors are one of my favorite teams to dig into because every other team has like positions and guys of various heights who play those <laughs> positions. And the Raptors uh, have decided that that. That traditional way of thinking does not matter to them. Half of their team, more than half of their team, is between six foot six and six foot nine. If you sort by that height range on basketball reference, there are four players shorter than six six and one taller than six nine, and everybody else is in that range. So they have just said wings, forwards, we want all of them. How has that worked for this Toronto team so far? I mean, pretty good. They're kind of in year two of the experimental phase with it, right? Like, they, they didn't really have anything to speak of when it came to centers last year. And, you know, Kem Birch was kind of the closest thing they had, and he was not very good because he was hurt and kind of walking around on one leg. Uh, this year, it... it the, the highs, the best the Raptors have looked so far this season have come when they've been really kind of rolling out the whole vision six foot nine thing. And they've been just like marauding in the train, the transition game and getting turnovers. Like that's just their whole thing is we're longer than you. So therefore we're going to like get into more passing lanes than you. We're going to poke more balls free and we're going to run it down your throats. It's been a little different in terms of the formula since Pascal Siakam got hurt last week against the Mavs. Um, you know, he was playing at like a ridiculous, you know, top five to 10 in the league level and he is such a driver of everything they do half court offense transition offense defense like he is so part and parcel to everything so they've had to change it up a little bit and it's been the short king fred van vliet who is just sitting there looking up at all his teammates all the time like hello guys i'm down here uh and he's 
like been fantastic. He's had uh, 30, 27, and 32 points since coming back from his own back stiffness where he missed a few games. Uh, and so they're making it work without him. But yeah, like the six foot nine thing, having wings everywhere. We're seeing lineups where, you know, even without Pascal, they're rolling out like OG plus Delano Banton, who's six nine, and Thad Young and Otto Porter Jr. and Precious Achua all together. Like that was an actual lineup that they used in a game and it worked. <laughs> it was. They try weird stuff, man. I, I like to say this is the psilocybin basketball team because it's like, uh, you know, the chemical and magic mushrooms that makes your brain see things the way that you've never seen things before. You kind of have to look at basketball differently to really appreciate what the Raptors are doing. And it's like, well, who's their point guard? The, the answer is they don't care and you shouldn't care either because that's just not how they're wired. It's not how the team's been built. It makes a lot of sense, right? Like if you have the same skills as someone else and you're taller... Mm-hmm. you're better, right? Like, it's just yeah. <laughs> kind of how it is in the basketball world. And so sort of as it progressed at the end of the last decade, outside of Steph, where all the superstars had the ball at the time, LeBron, Giannis, Jokic, can do all these things and are tall. Everybody was kind of like, oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can dribble and you're tall, you're good. And the Raptors just scooped up all those guys onto the same team, which I think is a brilliant strategy. And another part of it that you mentioned that, you know, when I was looking stuff up beforehand, Memphis was really good at this last year, even though they weren't mm-hmm. in this height range. But Memphis, every game said, we're going to have way more possessions in their team. We're going to get yes. a bunch of offensive rebounds. We're going to force a bunch of steals, and we're never going to turn it over. And the Raptors, who can get all these steals because they're long as hell, and they can uh, keep control the ball because they have smart players. They're seventh in offensive rebounds. They turn the ball over the second fewest times, and they force the second most turnovers from their team. So even if their guys aren't the most polished creators at their size, they just have like 10 extra chances at it than you. And that seems like it's been working for the Toronto team. Yeah, they are all about the math game because the thing is, is that their offense is not awesome and their like half court offense is typically, you know, bottom five, bottom 10 range. It's the same so far this season, but just they get more shots off than the other team. And eventually that math is going to pay off for you. Even against the Rockets on Wednesday, you know, it wasn't their best performance. They were, you know, kind of looking a little sloppy at times and, and, you know, their defense in particular was not great. But, you know, they got like 102 shots off to 84 for the Rockets. And eventually, like, you just can't overcome that math if you're the Rockets unless you're having like a superhuman defensive defensive game, which the Rockets are not typically want to do. So, yeah, it, it is really, you know, they kind of changed things up a little bit at the start of the season. The offensive rebounding didn't really kick in until this past week since Siakam's gone out. They were just cleaning up the defensive glass and never turning it over. So they'd kind of flipped it on its head where last year they were just pounding the offensive glass and getting their, their uh, sort of possession advantage that way. The, you know, prior to Siakam going out, they were hammering the defensive glass and just running off of every single rebound they got and it was working out pretty well for them then too they've had to change a little bit the offense is that much worse without Siakam so the offensive boards are like necessary for them to get by I think they've had two games in the last three where they've been over 20 offensive boards so you're seeing the pivot in the sort of overall strategy there but yeah the whole thing for them is get more possessions and you're probably going to have a pretty good chance of winning and they've somehow managed to do it I believe I'm not sure the exact figure right now but last year they got seven more possessions than their opponents on average per game which is nuts and I think they've increased that to eight or nine now this year might be even more after the Wednesday game I haven't checked the stats but uh like they've somehow gotten better at their match fixing thing where they get more possessions and it's been pretty fun to behold yeah I don't know about raw possessions but in terms of just like the number of shot attempts they're about nine ahead of their opponents right now which like that's a lot of points to overcome like even at like one point per possessions like not that great of a team but no, that's nine points. Like, that's a lot to overcome in a game. So mm-hmm. that seems like a sound strategy. 
Uh, the Pacers are doing the opposite team building plan as the Raptors right now. They have no one in the uh, six foot seven to six foot nine range on their team. What type of players have done well against Toronto this year? And do the Pacers have any of them on their roster right now? Fast, slippery guards. Uh, yeah, the which, Pacers hey, have a lot of those. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, that that's kind of been their bugaboo. Is you know, especially now that Siakam's out, like he's really uh, just he's such a good defender that everyone kind of has their responsibilities shift up a little bit when he's out. And so we're seeing like Scotty Barnes having some trouble with guys on the wing. You know, mostly I think in the last few games because he's been dealing with some ankle stuff. But like Jalen Green was kind of just roasting him in their most recent game. Um, you know, Donovan Mitchell had a really great game to start the season. Uh, really, other than Trey Young, every time they've come up against a very good guard, they've had some trouble. But, you know, with Trey Young, for some reason, they can just stick OG Ananobi on him and he just does nothing and it's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, you know, even like Tyrese Maxey, for example, had that ridiculous 44-point game where he didn't miss for the first, like, 45 minutes of action or whatever it felt like. Um, and that's, I, I think, part to, partly due to Fred Van Vliet's an incredible defender. He quarterbacks the defense, but he's not the fleetest of foot at the point of attack. Uh, and it's also that the Raptors play a pretty scrambly type of defense so if you're getting a ball swinging to a guard on the weak side they're in rotation coming back over they might have missed a rotation or something in their sort of haphazard all right we're going to over rotate and fill in the gaps at all times and if you miss a rotation you're making up a lot of ground and that gives those sort of second side guards a chance to sort of plunge into the defense and make some problems so yeah it, you know Tyrese Halliburton Chris Duarte those are the types of guys Ben Matherin is probably you know these are the types of guys who are going to give the Raptors problems so should make for a pretty interesting stylistic matchup for sure yeah Duarte probably won't be able to play actually certainly won't be able to with his ankle injury but I right, think we'll see right. a lot of like Nembard McConnell Halliburton Matherin I bet you see two or three of them most of the time and Buddy Heald also has just been running around with like a chicken with his head cut off in a good way that makes defenses rotate, and he's on fire recently. Uh, last question for me about the Raptors, and it's not about the basketball game part of the Raptors. It's about Masai sure. Ujiri, who's very yeah. good at building teams, built a championship contender uh, up in Toronto after coming over from Denver, and is well-regarded as one of the best executives in the league. He's good at finding talent without giving up very much to get it, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is extremely <laughs> impressive, um, and that's obviously a good team-building strategy. But just big picture – because as the Pacers are, are entering what they have defined as a new era on media day, right? What does Masai Jury do so well? And is it something that other GMs or another team like the Pacers can emulate? It's hard to say, right? Because, you know, we're not in the in the meetings and all that. Sure. And we, we don't see every decision that he makes in real time. But, you know, I, I think two or three things kind of come to mind is like things I associate with Masai Ujiri. One is he's very patient. Like he will take his time. He will let things run their course. He is not going to, you know, jump to any sort of conclusion. He's not going to make rash decisions. You know, he could have fired Dwayne Casey multiple times before Dwayne Casey ultimately got fired at the end of the 2017-18 season. You know, keep on getting swept by the Cavs. You get swept by the Wizards in 2015. Like that could have been the end of Dwayne Casey. That could have been the end of the, could have been the end of that team, frankly. And he is just I think he really believes in the value of kind of building something and having sort of learned institutional knowledge be part of what you've got going on. And, you know, this even goes back to Kyle Lowry and the very first iteration of these good teams. He kind of lucked into his patience a little bit by James Dolan being a coward and not wanting to trade for Kyle Lowry because he was scared of getting waxed and trade once again by Masai. Um, You know, but he 
he, you know, he kept Lowry. And then from there, you know, you'd make the Rudy Gay trade and things kind of fell into place. And it was like, oh, there's something cooking here. Let's see what we got. And then it was just sort of slow, methodical additions. And so the patience is really one thing that stands to mind. But it's also the fact that he's also bold and will make the moves that need to be made when they're on the table, like the Kawhi Leonard trade, like firing Dwayne Casey after he won coach of the year in 59 regular season games. You know, so he, he's got that sort of balance of patience, but knowing when the time is maybe up to no longer be patient. Um, and I also think he's just really, really bought into the sort of holistic approach to building a franchise, right? The G League was such a priority for him when he came in. You know, he drafts Bruno Caboclo back in 2014. You may remember, and this was a year after he could not trade up to get Giannis. He was trying really hard to do it, couldn't make it work because the Raptors didn't have their first round pick. Uh, he ends up taking Bruno Caboclo the next season, and he had to go play for the Fort Wayne Mad Ants. And, you know, he didn't really have a place to go and develop because Fort Wayne wasn't prioritizing Bruno Caboclo. And all of a sudden, the 905 comes in, and it's been one of the most successful G League franchises ever since because there's simpatico between franchise and and their G League team. And so, you know, this also applies to the way that he kind of hires and the, the people he brings in. He trusts a lot of people to sort of bring their expertise to the table. It's very collaborative. And so I think his big thing is knowing what he doesn't know and knowing that he can't be the be-all, end-all and sort of trusting in smart people beneath him to make really good decisions, whether it's on the coaching staff, the upper reaches of the front office, what have you. And so those are kind of the main pillars. Uh, It's tough, though, right? Like, it's hard to really sort of identify why a guy is so good. There's also just the part of it where he's just a really infectious dude that I feel like people just want to work for and perform well for, because uh, disappointing him feels like it might be the most uh, upsetting thing in the world because of what a guy he is. So yeah, it, it's it's a lot of things, and you know it might be that he he's in, you can't replicate Masai Ujiri, but there are certainly things that the Raptors have done that there's no reason other teams can't go and do those things as well. Yeah, there's a lot that he does well, and I think having Bobby Webster also is a thing that he does well. The man, like, wrote the CBA. It's pretty helpful, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the two of the CBA writers, ironically, um, Ted Wu with the Pacers and Webster with the Raptors. Uh, there you go. In this overlap here, which I think is interesting. But, yeah, the, Jerry just gets it, right? Like, every yeah. everything is important. You know, you can't just focus too much big picture. You end up like a Sacramento basketball team, and you can't focus too much on just little details, or you end up, you know, being too stuck in the middle sometimes. You got to be able to, to identify everything. Uh, I've got nothing else on the Raptors. Sean. Yeah. Take it away. We're going to, yeah, we're going to get to my uh, grilling of Tony about the Indiana Pacers in just one second here. But first, a reminder, go check out Locked on Fantasy Basketball. Our boy Josh Lloyd is uh, helping a lot of people win their leagues these days. Uh, he's, I don't know, like he's also extremely popular. So maybe everyone's just doing the same moves in all these leagues. I don't know, but he's doing something right. So go check out Locked on Fantasy Basketball, wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Tony, the Indiana Pacers uh, were expected to be in the Wembenyama off will probably still be in the Wembenyama off. Wembenyama off? I don't, I don't know. What's, what's the nomenclature <laughs> we're calling this? I don't really know. Um, but surprisingly stout to start the season, five and six. Tyrese Halliburton's playing 
I don't know, borderline, if not full-on all-star level basketball right now. Ben Matherin is right in there for Rookie of the Year alongside Paolo Boncaro. Uh, let's start with Halliburton. We're, I guess, less than a year still out from that trade with the Sacramento Kings. Uh, how are Pacers fans feeling about that deal right now? I know Sabonis was uh, someone who was beloved, but it's got to be kind of awesome to have this like 22-year-old guard who uh, just kind of controls the entire floor at all times in his place, no? Uh, yeah, fans love Tyrese Albert, and he did he did what he said he would do, which sounds dumb, but for a young player that's evolving into the face of the franchise, he mm. says all the time last year, I need to be more aggressive, I need to be more aggressive. He's always been a great passer, one of the best in the league, but he would defer almost too much. And so now to become the 20 and 10 guy, to be hunting his own shots, to have his, what I'm going to call a signature shot, I don't know if it's there yet, but he's got this new like weird running forwards hook shot thing mm-hmm. that goes in a lot, you'll probably see it. On Saturday, you certainly will. Uh, to, to find the balance of aggression and still being a brilliant setup man is, one, a really fun type of player to watch. And, two, made him, like you said, in the all-star mix. So to trade a an all-star for a younger guy who is right <laughs> in that same sort of talent tier right now and will certainly be getting better, not that Sabonis won't. But, uh, yeah, I mean, home run trade for the Pacers, given where they were last year, they needed to pull the plug on that team, and they did. And it also makes their bridge to the next era so smooth. It helps that Matherin also has been kicking butt. But, you know, there were four players in the NBA last year who averaged nine or more assists per game. Uh, mm-hmm. And all of them were all-stars, right? So it seems likely that if he can keep this up, he'll at least be in the mix. I think it was Trey, DeJounte, James Harden, Chris Paul, right? Like studs, yeah. right? So if yeah. he can keep that pace up, which all signs point to yes, because the Pacers are going to be awesome on offense all season. They can't guard a potted plant. But – uh, it, it sure seems like he's going to have a good chance to be in that mix, and they did a, a great job identifying his skills and getting him last February. And then in his backcourt running mate now is Ben Matherin, Canadian. We love it. Uh, you know, super exciting player in college. You know, I, I didn't, I can't profess to have seen all of his games with Arizona or anything like that, but he was always someone who kind of popped off the screen when you'd see highlights and things like that. But there was always a question, I guess, like how do all these raw sort of intangible skills come into one in the NBA and, and translate? Turns out pretty damn well, uh, averaging 20 a game. You know, obviously, there's going to be defensive issues with any rookie, and the Pacers are not exactly a defensively stout team, and, you know, that's stuff that can be figured out down the line. But uh, overall, sort of, like, how far past expectation has Matherin been so far this season, and what's it been that's kind of made you uh, get all giddy and butterfly-y whenever (laughs) he does things on the floor? (laughs) And looking forward to Matherin versus Coloco, two college teammates. Uh, Oh, yeah. I don't know if you saw it, but... When the Pacers played the Bulls, Dalen Terry, who was also on that Arizona team, uh, the Bulls were team. Like, yeah, yeah. They, they, the Bulls are up like 15 lights. They put in Terry for the final minute to go against right. his college teammate. The shot clock's off. The game's over, and Matherin still stole it from Terry and, and got fouled. <laughs> Nikola Vucevic is like, "Don't do that," you know, and, and all this stuff. It's like you, know, you only go against your former teammate for the first time once. So I, I think Matherin will be excited for that specific matchup. But mm-hmm. to talk about his skills and what makes him so good, it's like. I'll, I'll use my favorite anecdote from the season so far because they were doing their, you know, just before training camp, like all their players are in town, they're scrimmaging, and they hire some local refs to come in and, and call fouls and this stuff. And Tyrese Halberton said that Matherin was complaining in these scrimmages that he wasn't getting enough calls. And Tyrese said, <laughs> dude, you're a rookie. Like, you're not going to get these calls in the league. And Tyrese is like, never mind. I was wrong. He is getting <laughs> these calls in the league. That's what's made him so good. He is so fearless going to the rim. Six free throw attempts per game for a rookie is – 
pretty ridiculous. Nuts. He has the highest free throw, yeah, highest free throw attempt rate on the Pacers amongst non-big dudes who just stand around the basket. So he is just such a fearless attacker. And that alone is not enough to make you good. It's that he also is shooting 44% from three and has, you know, 30 points to last night for us talking two nights ago for when the game will be uh, held between the Pacers and Raptors. Like, he's just so electric, and there's not a good way to contain him because he's so mm-hmm. good at shooting and coming around screens and going right at your tall dudes. I think the Raptors have the kind of team that can slow him down, but no one has really been able to yet. It, it, it's so rare for a rookie to be this good. Yeah, I mean, he's a blast. And like you said, that Halliburton-Matherin duo, I mean, you're starting a rebuild. It's not a bad place to start from. Yeah. There are a lot of teams who uh, have had way less on hand for their early stage rebuilds and sometimes never get guys that good as they rebuild Orlando. Uh, they're good now, I guess, 10 years later. It's not like they uh, waste any time getting paddled by Caro. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about the sort of the elephant in the room with the five and six Indiana Pacers. It's not quite as large an elephant as it is with the Utah Jazz, but uh, they've been better than expected out of the gate. And Victor Wembanyama looms uh, very large, seven feet, four inches in the air. Uh, He's very good. Everyone seems to really want him. The Pacers seemed like they were going to be like on a one-way track to the bottom of the Eastern Conference and the top of the lottery odds. That's very well still possible, I would assume. Um, but what are your impressions of the sort of early start? Is there like alarm in Indiana that they've started this well and that it might sort of sewer their Wembenyama odds? Or are people being sane about this and saying, oh, the basketball team's playing cool, fun basketball. Let's enjoy this now and not worry too much about tanking for the speculative teenager. I actually think it's been the latter, which is surprising to me. Given I love to hear that winning is cool <laughs> is the thing. Winning rocks. It's fun. Well, winning is fun, and <laughs> I think I, I talked about this before this season. Like the most fun seasons for fans are when they have no expectations coming in, and then 100%. the team is good, right? Like mm-hmm. that's what made Victor Oladipo's first season in Indiana such a blast. Beyond that, they of course were good. Mm-hmm. Is that everybody thought they'd be bad, and so every game they won. Like it took like fifty games for everyone to finally like click. Like oh wow, they're good. You know, that, mm-hmm. th- this this Pacers team is not as good as that team, but exceeding expectations is fun. I think people have enjoyed that. There will be a point where everyone says, okay, like, let's be realistic about the long-term <laughs> outlook of this team. But the, the the pump the brakes factor a little bit. They are 5-6. and six. They've looked good. Like, New Orleans was a good win. Um, they beat Miami. Jimmy Butler didn't play. Uh, they beat Brooklyn, which is not a good win anymore this year. <laughs> they beat the Wizards. The Raptors the- lost to the Nets earlier this year, and I f- kind of feel like maybe they should get contracted as a result. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So four of their five wins are against, like, eh, kind of team. The Pelicans win was really impressive. That was their best game of the season. Uh, and they almost beat Denver uh, on Wednesday. They blew an 18-point lead. So they had, like, obviously it's easy to say context of who they've beaten. It's not like so impressive, but they've looked good is, is the mm-hmm. factor that makes it not, not matter who they've beaten is like their offense is fun. They cl- clearly have a plan. All their young guys are better than expected. The vets fit in. Like the plan makes sense. The team is fun to watch. So it sort of doesn't matter <laughs> if their wins are good <laughs> or bad. It's just like, Oh cool. You know, the Pacers aren't as a slog anymore. Like last year when they were you know, trying to play through the post a lot and what it just didn't didn't work. The team just didn't work. So mm-hmm. yes, people are enjoying it. It has been fun, but I also think contextually, given they haven't beaten anyone amazing, they're still probably going to be closer to the one Binyama sweepstakes when the season ends. Uh, and especially because eventually they, they'll have to make some tweaks just as the season progresses. That's how it goes. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, 
look, maybe they'll trade Miles Turner finally. Uh, it's like year 10 of this uh, unending all trade saga. all the time we contested together about the Raptors and Pacers. <laughs> Something like this. So let me ask you, Tony. Uh, will they try trade Miles Turner this year, or are they going to extend him and then make him trade bait for the next five years after that as well? Yeah, Miles has been great this year. Um, he's dropping 40 burgers. Yeah, yeah, he's incredible. He's been great. <laughs> He, you know, last December he said he feels like a glorified role player at times. Like he doesn't play the five on offense as much. So to me, it was kind of important for him to play well at the beginning of the season, not just for the Pacers to have, you know, happy feelings about his trade value, but also so he can, you know, be like, okay, I'm as good as I think I am. Uh, he's been good so far. He had two duds of games for sure, but he also got hurt on opening night. Um, but mostly has been really good this year. The difference between this year's Miles Turner trade talk and every other year's Miles Turner trade talk is his contract expires this year, right? Sure, so. Yeah. For a rebuilding team that, I mean, unless they're like 10 games over 500 at the trade deadline, which realistically is not going to happen. I mean, they have to think about the long-term future of the team. It's more important. It happens every single year at the deadline. Now, this will be weird because there'll be less sellers because of the super tall French kid we already talked about. But, you know, <laughs> they, they have to consider it. Like, it, it's, it's Miles Turner said that himself on the on the Woj pod with Adrian Wojnarowski. He's like, it'd be stupid. Even if they don't have doing, he's like, it'd be bad business for them not to. Mm-hmm. because my contract expires they can't lose me for nothing so while in the past they've obviously talked about it especially in the context of him being with Sabonis but this year uh, it's way different because of his contract situation yeah and I mean I, I'll be keeping an eye on him as a potential Raptors guys I guess we have been for the last four years uh, Raptors always just, in the mix it feels like it's, it never ends and I think honestly it's got more legs now because we've seen with Christian Coloco the way he's kind of you know, proven that if he's at the back and the rest of the Raptors defense is doing its crazy scrambly thing and you have an actual rim protector back there to clean up the messes, the Raptors defense goes from pretty scary to, oh my God, we're never scoring again. <laughs> and so, you know, if they find that Coloco maybe isn't quite ready for night to night, you know, consistent performance, which, you know, I, I don't think it's fair necessarily to even ask him to be as a second round pick. Uh, I could totally see them being like, all right, well, Miles Turner, like, you know, it's going to take a bit for us to cobble these salaries together to make it all work but uh certainly something i think they'll they'll explore because like that's the exact type of dude who might be able to tie this whole thing together that the raptors are doing it's a, it's compelling stuff uh as is talking to you my friend should we uh wrap this thing up there i think we should i'm excited for this game uh hopefully it's not like last year's final pacers raptors game where there's like a fire in the arena and the raptors <laughs> were like 45 and all these dudes are watching march madness on their phone in the locker room during the game because the oh building's burning down uh, so hopefully this one's a little more fun than that yeah here's hoping it would be a, a delight to uh see a fun game and you know again halliburton matherin's kind of duo that has given the raptors some issues so uh and the raptors will be on the second night of a back-to-back as well having played the thunder the night before so uh should be a challenging one for toronto they're in this kind of stretch of their schedule they'd like to pick up some wins while pascal siakam's out against presumptive tanking teams but feels like one of these against either the thunder or the pacers for them is going to be a bit of a of a trap bite you in the butt game hopefully it's not for raptors fans but if it comes at the expense of the Pacers and it makes Tony East happy, I'll make my peace with it. Should be a fun game. I'm sure we'll both be talking about it on our respective shows come Monday. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter for now, I guess, <laughs> at TEASTNBA, <laughs> depending on how long that that website is still around. And Sean's over there at Woodley Sean, uh, covering the Raptors over at Lockdown Raptors as well. Do you have anything else to, to plug before we get out of here? 
I got a new Substack. Uh, it's called Post Touches. You can just go and subscribe over at Substack, and uh, you'll get my weekly little blog posts. It's just uh, a way for me to, it, hence the name, Post Touches. I just need some touches with them posts, man, because uh, I'm without a writing home this year, so this is helping me uh, just just put whatever's in my brain on a page in some sort of coherent fashion. So go check it out. Post Touches is my Substack. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, to both of these shows, Locked On Podcast Network, we cover every team in every league, your team every day, available on every podcast app, as well as YouTube, where you can see us smile and wearing our Grizzlies slash Zach Randolph memorabilia, which was not coordinated. Crazy stuff. <laughs> out. Everybody have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.